Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am talking with the always awesome Daniel Dominguez. What's up, dude? Hey, man. Whoa. <laughs> my bad. I turned my own level up, and now I'm blaring in my own headphones. This engineer sucks. <laughs> We're starting strong. I like it already. It's me. I'm the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I just peaked myself. Oh, that's so funny. Don't say peaked myself. I won't. My bad. You peaked yourself. How dare you? This is a family show. <laughs> it is. I know. Probably not. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry to all the grandmas out there. <laughs> There's just too many things that I will laugh at. And so then it's like, I might go down. I might go down that road and make that joke, and then it's like, well, now it is immediately not a family-friendly show anymore. Whoops. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> it's Starcast. Yeah. Well, what's funny is that it's like I've I've never really gotten that bent out of shape, like about you know, like I guess it's more like with cuss words and stuff when it comes to like other things that. Like, you know, like racist, homophobic, that sort of stuff. Those sorts of words, not a fan of. But like when it comes to like cuss words, like, you know, I have, I have two boys, 11 and 14. Oh and, my gosh. And so it's like they play video games and they just cuss up a storm. And the only things that I've ever said to them, because I've never like, you know, like grounded them. Like, oh, how dare you use those words, yada, yada. Because it's like nuts. I, I was telling them like, number one, if you do cuss a lot, it's not going to do anything to make you... It's not going to do anything to make you sound smarter. <laughs> and there's True. certain situations like, you know, like when they used to go to public school, like if you're in school or, you know, other places like that, like it's uh, when you get older and you get a job, it's like they're, they're really going to not want you to use that stuff. So don't get used to saying it. But otherwise, I don't give a fuck if you swear. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in my house, the, the running joke would be. Don't fucking cuss in my house, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Because one of one of my aunts actually said that, like, in real life, meant it. Like, we we're all the kids were in one of the rooms doing something at a family party. And she came in like, hey, stop fucking cussing, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and all the kids stopped because they got in trouble and then started laughing super hard at the irony. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> so my mom was, her phrase was, don't cuss, damn it be from that oh, and i actually did custom my music for like the first few years oh yeah yeah so that was that like a conscious choice or or it was just that was just happened to be the way that you wrote and then your writing just kind of evolved or what was that process for you as an mc uh i was like super nerdy and so i thought like let me figure out how to make this more challenging. And everybody in my age group and everything, all of my peers, little cuss words were the easy way to go. They were an easy way to do filler and everything like that. So to challenge myself, I was like, I'm not going to cuss. And when I'd write, I naturally wouldn't write cuss words in anyways. Even though like I had a really foul mouth, I always have. Like I spoke that way, but in my music, I wouldn't. Even in my earlier hardcore music, I wouldn't. But then on stage, in between songs, I'd have a super foul mouth. <laughs> but it was more like it was about intention, you know what I mean, and the artistry of writing. And I felt like at that time, expletives were a crutch. They were a cop-out. And you would never know it once you listened to Farouk's second album. 
we caught a lot of flack for my use of the F word and MF -er in that album. <laughs> so I just let loose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Um, so w what is, when did you first start writing? Oh, like, did, um, did it start I, with like poetry or like what was, what was kind of your doorway into writing and then, you know, eventually writing music and stuff? I think I got to unlock some memories real quick. So I remember writing sheet music as a kid, um, maybe uh, 10, 11 years old. Um, Cause I was in band. And so I would start, I would um, kind of improvise songs, memorize them off of what I improvised. So I like, Almost like when you write a paragraph, I would do that with music notes and rhythms. But then I'd memorize them all, and then I'd try to write them out as sheet music. Never named everything, anything or kept track of it. I played the trumpet from maybe the age of 8 till uh, 14, 13. Oh, cool. But then somewhere in my early teens, maybe 12 or 13, I started writing raps secretly. And... I what was your so, influence to start writing raps at that age? Uh, I just liked rapping. I liked rap. And so it started off with listening to artists I like and wanting to rap their songs along with them. So I was writing down their lyrics and then reading them back in time because I wanted to get all the words right. And like in junior high, like we would all like rap Snoop Dogg verses and uh, Tupac verses to each other. But then people would get messed up on the words, so then we'd all end up going home and, like, writing down the words to, like, the songs and then learning them. So then, like, the next day walking home from school, you could pull out a verse, like, perfectly. So, like, I had a couple Snoop Dogg verses, like, memorized. So it started with that. And then I think I just started writing my own maybe uh, between eighth grade and freshman year, maybe freshman year. So 14, 15 years old. And I was listening to this rapper named Cannabis, who was one of the most nerdy rappers you could ever like. Only the nerds know cannabis, I feel like, or care. <laughs> and it wasn't cannabis like marijuana. It was can I bus? <laughs> I figured it had to be something different. <laughs> yeah, and he was he was the king of like freestyles. Uh, but come to find out later, he wasn't really making it up off the top of his head he was kind of writing these free verses memorizing them and then going to uh you know sway in the morning or sway in tech and just putting out these ridiculous verses all, always all kinds of metaphors and cool rhymes so i really just wanted to rap like him when i started except with no cuss words and and then i just it took off like i listened i consumed everything i could music wise so my influences got different. So it went from cannabis to Wu-Tang to Cash Money and No Limit Soldiers and E-40 and... No uh, Limit. Yeah. <laughs> Make Actually, them say, uh. uh <laughs> yo, I don't know if, if you're like my Spotify friend or if, if that shows, but you would have seen me, I, I believe, on Monday playing my No Limit Soldiers playlist like for hours. Like <laughs> I, I was so into that i feel like i was one of the first people in in this area that was really into like southern hip-hop and rap so i was listening to a lot of like eight ball and mjg which were like the memphis before three six mafia it was eight ball and mjg in the mid to early 90s and they were like the only memphis rappers i knew about 
And I remember hearing Little John like two or three years before he went popular, like in Texas. I was visiting family in Texas and hearing Little John songs. Like, what is this? What's this guy yelling about? I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Come to find out, he's a hardcore kid. He was all into like heavy metal and rock and everything. Are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So when I found that about out about him, it really let me lean into all my eclectic styles because I was kind of hiding those things for a while because being uh, versatile or having wide ranges of influences wasn't really cool where I was at in either scene. So being in the hardcore scene, it was like, oh, you're into rap? That's corny. And then being in the hip hop scene, it was like, oh, you're into that headbanger shit? That's weird. <laughs> and now there's just all this crap, but there's always been crossover in that since the eighties. Yeah. Oh, totally. So um, like, I don't know. Uh, the, the one thing that always comes to mind for me is ice T's original gangster album. He had that, that song, I think it was body count on there. Yeah, he has a whole band called body count. Yeah. And then that body count song in there, that was the first time that I ever heard, you know, the kind of the, the mashing up of those two, because I lived in a, in a small enough, town that you know it's like i had a group of friends that was all into metal and that was mostly what i listened to and then i had a group of friends that were all into rap and so i'd be around rap all the time but like you know i always liked metal more and then when i heard that iced tea song i was like it can be both <laughs> and then the the soundtrack for the movie judgment night came out and like every song on there is like a, a mashup you know where it's like some metal or hard rock band teamed up with like a, a rapper and the the whole soundtrack for that movie is fucking fantastic. Have you ever seen that movie? Which one? Uh, Judgment Night. No, I don't, I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh, it's like a, a it's either late 80s or early 90s movie. It's um, Emilio Estevez is the main character and it's got Cuba oh, Gooding Jr. So 90s. Yeah. And it's got Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, uh, what is it? He's the uh, Stephen Dorff. Remember the bad guy from the first Blade movie? Or you might see him in the, the blue e-cigarettes commercials. <laughs> like, I'm Steven Dorf, and I look cool as fuck when I smoke. <laughs> but anyway, Judgment Night. These dudes are like going into Chicago to go to some back, uh, boxing match. And their buddy that's driving, uh, they're in like deadlock traffic. And so he takes an exit off the freeway and kind of gets lost down in like the south side of Chicago. And then they witness a murder. And then these dudes who just killed somebody are like chasing them through the south side of Chicago to try and kill them. And they've got to try and make it away from these guys. Dennis Leary's like the head gangster. Uh, the, Dennis Leary? Yeah, Dennis Leary's in the movie. And then uh, one of the people in his crew is the the singer from um, was it House of Pain, I think. Is in that oh, movie also? Really? I think, I think that's Everlast or the other guy? House of maybe. Pain was was the Everlast guy, right? Is that who it was? I'd have to look it up. I'm, I might be confusing my <laughs> my early '90s musicians. Um, House of Pain, Cypress Hill had this weird overlap that I didn't. I don't really understand. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's like they really weren't that similar. I don't think it was. Maybe it was the guy from Cypress Hill. That'd been. See, be I real, thought that right? they were like. Fuck, I thought I'm that, gonna like, look it up. I thought the Cypress Hill guys and um, House of Pain were like. House of Pain was a bigger group with the Everlast dude. And Cypress Hill was 
House of Pain minus Everlast. I think that's how that worked. I could be wrong. Grandmas of this family show uh, to call in with your votes on whether I'm wrong or not. <laughs> okay, I'm pulling up IMDb to look at the cast on this. Judgment oh, Night. Oh, yeah, the internet. 1993. Jesus. So early 90s. Dude, this movie was awesome. I got to go back and rewatch this. I actually pulled out a post-it and a pen to write down Judgment Night. <laughs> yeah, m- maybe take recommendations from me with a, a grain of salt after... Uh, did you end up getting very f- much further into Clone Wars? No, uh, we, we did find a couple like, hey, here's the important ones to watch. And I think we just we just weren't we just couldn't hang just weren't ready for it. But it's funny because we were talking about like how Obi-Wan's only like eight episodes or something like that. And how Mandalorian doesn't start till January. So it's like, man, maybe we'll watch Clone Wars after all because we're just so thirsty that <laughs> this will be the way to go. We did play the Clone Wars video games on a Nintendo Wii, though. Oh, played nice. That. How was that? <laughs> it's fun. It There's like a lightsaber duel one where you're using the, the Wiimotes to use the Force and wield a lightsaber. For 2010, it was a really good video game. I've never played that. I, the boys have a Wii, but like I haven't, I don't know if I've really ever played anything on there. I think I might have bowled with them one time. Yeah, I think that's the 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 go to. That game, by the way, Wii Sports now like resells for like forty to sixty dollars. Oh no shit! <laughs> and it came with the system back when it came out. Yeah, yeah, that's. Do you remember Nintendo used to always come with a game? Because like I remember the the original NES. It came with like Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Yep. And um, was it Super Mario World maybe was the one that came with the SNES? I think SNES was when you got to start being able to pick. Like they had one where you can get uh, Madden, where you can get football. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool that they would let you pick. I remember um, when the PlayStation came out, uh, that was when I had my first like job that actually paid decent money. At least what felt like decent money at the time. I was working at like a Hardee's, like a fast food job. And I remember the first paycheck I got, it was enough money to go and buy the PlayStation, but not enough money to buy a PlayStation and a game. Oh, no. And so luckily it came with like a demo disc that you could play just little snippets of like Crash Bandicoot and like Jet Moto and stuff like that. uh, Let's see. Let me guess. Uh, I think I remember this disc. Parappa the Rapper. Oh, yeah, that was probably on there, too. That sounds really yep. familiar. Yep. <laughs> and probably a nondescript racing game. Oh, for sure. <laughs> F- F10X30s or something. Just a, a combination of letters and numbers that mean something to somebody, but not me. <laughs> that PlayStation was the first, like, gaming system that, like, I bought myself. Um, but before that I had had a, a Game Boy that I'd gotten for, I think it was a birthday present one year. And so I had a whole bunch of Game Boy games and man, revisiting the concept of that, like it's not rechargeable. It takes four AA batteries. It's not backlit. <laughs> like like no, you what really a hard thing to, have, to play. You really had to have perfect conditions for some of those old, like handhelds. Oh, I know. I remember and, like having being in a long drive with my mom and dad and being in the back of the car and then you'd be driving back home at night 
and be like, all right, he's not going to turn the dome light on and let me play this. <laughs> so yeah. I just, I'm not going to get to play my Game Boy on the drive home. <laughs> Every once in a while you'd have, uh, I remember one time being on one of those and leaning up against the window because there was enough street lights to where I could see it enough coming in through the window. <laughs> so I just leaned up against the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. These I kids will never know this, the struggles um... we went through. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> I dug that thing out at one point and showed it to the kids. Um, because my boys are really, really into vintage video game systems. Like, yeah. I've lost track of the amount of them that they've amassed so far. That's um, all we have here. We don't have any new consoles here. The newest one we have is a Switch. And, like, the I think the newest Xbox they have is, like, a 360. The newest PlayStation is a PS3. And um, that's, that's, there's a, there's plenty there. <laughs> Liam uh, told me that he wants an Xbox One, and so he's been scouring eBay, and he keeps showing me ones like, "Look, this one's thirty dollars." I'm like, "No, I'm like, wow." I'm like, "It's not thirty dollars." I'm like, "You get a thirty dollar paperweight." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's if a... anybody has an Xbox One they want to get rid of for cheap, hit me up. At Grandma's the Ninja Family Show, send your, send your Xbox Ones to <laughs> P.O. Box. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Um, it's funny watching them get into those vintage video games, though, and watch them be excited about the same video games that I was, yes. you know, when I was that age. Um, yes. It, it's there's, funny. There's actually a uh, a vintage like video game store down the street from us. Oh, perfect. We've already given hundreds of dollars to. <laughs> and the, the craziest thing is me seeing the games that retailed for 40 to $60 when they were brand new with boxes and instruction manuals re resell for that amount with just the cartridge. Like, I, I did spend $50 on a, you know, 20 year old game <laughs> and it, it, it would have costed the same back in 1998 when it came out. Oh, excellent. Which game? But the, uh, Road Rash on Nintendo 64. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I remember Road Rash. That was fun as hell. Road Rash was all across all the different, uh, consoles, but the Nintendo 64 version was by far the best one. I remember playing it on Sega Genesis. It was great on Genesis. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend, <laughs> uh, Aaron, she grew up on the Road Rash games, and she was, like, listening. We were playing it, but she didn't like the soundtrack to the Nintendo 64 version. So she went on YouTube and found the soundtrack for the Sega Genesis version that she grew up playing, <laughs> played that music while we're playing Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> that's what we do with our... That's 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 what goes down at our house. Modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> yes, you know, playing on a flat screen with the uh, the three, what are the the AV cables? Oh yeah, yeah. <sighs> so bad. <laughs> I'm getting motion sick while playing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite uh, vintage video game system to to play with? I I probably would go Nintendo 64. I spent the most time on that one. Um, and it's the perfect mix of like modern enough to not get bored with, but nostalgic enough. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Especially the way uh, those controllers were shaped. They're so unique. Te technology changed so much. And a lot of the best pro wrestling games 
I brought it back. Look, I, I should get a prize. That was. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> We're 20 minutes in before you got wrestling in. brought up. Yeah. <laughs> As, as I stare at my shrine to New Japan Pro Wrestling right down, <laughs> right next to my desk. Um, yeah, they had the best wrestling games for N64 of the time. To the point to where there are communities online that still uh, mod the same game engine from 19 or 1999 or 2000. The, the company, uh, THQ is out of business, but they have online communities that use that game engine and make updated wrestlers and updated company video games. Oh, that's cool. Free to download, like user community ones. They're bootlegged. And they've gotten so popular that there are people porting these onto Nintendo 64 cartridges and selling them. So we have a Nintendo 64 cartridge homebrew of a Japanese video game that was updated and translated to English that we bought off Etsy for like, I don't know, $75. Whoa. <laughs> it's a great game. That's cool. Yeah. It's that that's those games are great. The THQ Aki made wrestling games of the late, late nineties, early two thousands are hmm. like, there's you could, you could uh, YouTube and go down a wormhole for days of like people talking about those games and remaking the games and everything. So much so that the new console game that AEW Wrestling is coming out with cited those games as an influence to their gameplay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, because everybody who was 12 years old when those games came out is now in their mid to late 30s and making adult money <laughs> and doing adult <laughs> doing adult business. <laughs> I can buy an awesome video game now. Yeah, actually. But yeah, I'm I'm an N64. I think we have that here at the house. So that's me. I, I most recently got one of those on eBay. Got it for a really really good deal. And um, what's funny is I just hooked it up. I hooked it up in in my 11 year old's room because he's got uh, like a a big bookshelf that all it holds is different um, video game systems. And there's like enough outputs on the back of his old TV that I can yes. have like five or six of them hooked up at once. Yes. And so I just kind of made room for the N64 and just hooked it up and then just left it and didn't say anything and just waited for them to notice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And it was awesome because when, when Aiden, the, the older son, when he noticed it, he like walks in there, walks right out and looks at me. He's like, um, what is this? <laughs> what what is this? <laughs> and I'm like, what's it look like? He's like, it's an N64. I'm like, it is an N64. Have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I had had a, a shoebox full of old games, and but oh my I gosh, just lost I need to my know what system. games you have. Oh, gee, uh, I don't even remember what all ones I have anymore off the top of my I, head. I um, might be able to guess some of them. Oh, yeah, please. You had Super Smash Brothers. You had Mario sixty four. Yeah, definitely Mario sixty four is in there. You probably you probably had Ocarina of Time. Yep. Um, maybe. Uh, are you are you a sports fan? No. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to think, what else? There's games that literally everybody had. <laughs> I know. There's the big one that you haven't said yet. Oh, Mario Kart. Okay. No, there's that one too. Yeah, Mario Kart sixty four is fucking awesome. 
Mario Party was another one everybody had. What's the other one? <laughs> there is a big one that probably didn't end. Oh, Goldeneye. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say everybody had Goldeneye, dude. Everybody was was that four-way split screen. That <laughs> was just fucking chaos on a TV. <laughs> I that, I had to think about what games I sucked at so I could remember because I I was terrible <laughs> at Goldeneye. Yeah, Mario sixty four was my favorite. I, I I just loved the the way that that game opened up the playability to where it wasn't just the side scrolling anymore. It and, was beautiful for the time. Oh yeah, they recently re re released it for the Switch, and so the 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 boys bought that and then. I think that was before. Yeah, that was before I'd gotten that N64 and set it up for him. So, uh, like, Liam had already uh, played through completely and, and beat in, or Mario 64 probably a couple times before he ever actually played it on the N64. That's so cool. Like, these <laughs> these games are 10 years older than these kids. Oh, yeah. Dude, he got totally, um, like, enamored by Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah. And was like totally obsessed with it to the point where last Halloween he was Cloud Strife. For, That's wild. For Halloween. It was awesome. <laughs> That's one I could never get into. Oh, dude. I was so obsessed with Final Fantasy VII when I first got that. I totally fell into a rabbit hole. I remember taking the strategy guide like with me to school. And like, oh, nice. It, it, when I should have been doing schoolwork instead, I was like sitting at my desk flipping through that strategy guide. No, they weren't going to teach you how to be a fantasy, a sci-fi writer at school. You were doing the right kind of studying. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was you like I was chasing my imagination. Now that I think about it, the people that I know of and that I know who are big fans of Final Fantasy are some of the most creative people I've ever met. Like, I don't think I've met one dummy that's into Final Fantasy. Everybody's sharp. Meanwhile, I'm playing fighting games and sports games. Like, <laughs> it's like I didn't have the patience for Final Fantasy. I didn't. I wasn't gonna read text. Get out of here. <laughs> you kidding me? Yeah. Well, I really loved reading from a young age. Like, I no, I would, no. like, when I was a freshman in high school, I read the the Stephen King book It in like a week, and that's oh, like over a thousand pages. So I mean, I could just crush books when yeah. when I was in high school. Another characteristic of a Final Fantasy fan right there. Life <laughs> loves to read. I could not read because I was busy stealing chains and um, um, batons from cops and hitting them over the head because I got to gotta win the top of this race to, get to the <laughs> next level. Yeah, I played a lot of those games too. A lot of Sonic the Hedgehog, a lot of different Mario games, a lot of, uh, a lot of racing games. And even though I wasn't into sports, I played lots and lots of NBA Jam. Oh yeah, that ba that barely qualifies as a sports game. No, that game was fucking fantastic. That, that game is a dunk contest, is what. That <laughs> <is>. <laughs> oh man, I remember the first time I played that. It was at an arcade console, oh, and it so was good. at this um this restaurant that my small town that I grew up in had called the Pizza Place, and they always had <laughs> yeah the Pizza Place, and they had a rotation of like. I think it was usually three different arcade consoles and then one or two pinball machines. So, you know, there was always about five different things that you could go and spend quarters on up at the front of the bar. And nice. yeah, so it would just be riding bikes around town, picking up cans and bottles everywhere you can find them, cashing them in, 
turning him into quarters at the store, walking across the street to the pizza place, and then, you know, even if you only had 50 cents, like, hey, that's two games of, of NBA Jam. <laughs> See, again, these kids will never know the struggles. Mm-mm. Oh, kids I know. Will never know. I know. Oh, see, at, I grew up in bowling alleys, and I remember playing NBA Jam at the bowling alley. Oh, nice. But it was a quarter per quarter, so it was a dollar to play a whole game. Oh shit! Yeah, I was yeah. saying I, I might have picked the wrong game with saying prices. I don't. <laughs> um, that'd have been there awesome. Like racing to have a bowling alley in stuff. town, though. Oh yeah, we had ton- we had I think three. Fuck, we had nothing in the nineties. Yeah, for Fresno was for for being such a farm town through the nineties and early two thousands. It got there was became a ton to do. It's not. It's very much a a city now. From when in the seventies and eighties it was very much like a farmland. But yeah, I, I was all at all the bowling alleys playing all the video games. Time Killers. Did you ever play that one? Oh, that sounds really familiar. It was awful. Um, it was, I think, right after Mortal Kombat came out. And it it was this game where you could pick, you know, from eight weird characters, and it was so bloody and gory, and the whole game was. Like, you were trying to sever as many limbs off your opponent as possible while fighting. <laughs> so if you lost an arm, you just couldn't hit with that arm anymore. I believe the control buttons were arm, leg, leg, arm, head. So you could headbutt, left arm, right arm, left foot, right foot. So you could use all those to, to attack. But if one got cut off, that button wouldn't work anymore because he just had a nub. <laughs> and... and and you could basically fight until your head was chopped off. Wow. So if you lost one leg, you, you'd have your other leg. And you'd be hopping around on one foot, and you just couldn't kick because you only have one foot. <laughs> Makes me think of the scene in Monty Python and the Holy yes. Grail with the Black <laughs> yes. Knight. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's how they, they got the idea for this game. I cut your bloody arm off. It's but a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate optimism. <laughs> Did you grow up watching those movies too? Did you watch those when you were younger? Uh, my cousins and aunt loved them. So I saw, always saw little pieces and heard the quotes, but never had the attention span to sit down and watch anything when I was a kid. Unless it was Ninja Turtles and I was like trying to memorize it. <laughs> yeah, I was super into Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. That was Those were the ones that I had like all the, the action figures of. Me too. I had fucking so many Ninja Turtles. And then I think it was when I was maybe in high school. Like one day my mom was just like, oh, hey, I gave all your old Ninja Turtles to the to Austin, the kid who lives next door. And I remember <sighs> a part of me being like, no. And the other part of me being like, well, they did just sit in my closet forever. And I'm sure he got really stoked for that. So, okay. But now as an adult, I'm back to no. Yeah. Yeah. When you see <laughs> my turtles. No, dude. I had to let go of a lot of those. The the wrestling figures I had, the action figures that were like made out of hard plastic and were like spring loaded attack. Like you could really bruise a knuckle or a hand with some of these toys. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic the small the small uh swallowable parts that you could totally choke on and everything <laughs> yeah that sounds like toys of the 80s and early 90s <laughs> <Heck> yeah 
<laughs> by some nice thick coverage of lead paint on it. Oh my gosh, the uh so did you guys have like you didn't have any video arcades out there? Uh there was so well, we'd have to go into Cedar Rapids, <clears throat> which was about that was probably like a 15 20 minute drive um from where I lived, but I'd have to get my mom or dad to take me in. And then you'd have to go even further into Cedar Rapids to go to the mall where there was an arcade called The Tilt. And that place, I remember that was the first place I went into that was like a legit arcade, you know, where a lot of the machines will spit the tickets out and you take them up to the counter and get the shitty little kazoo or whatever. That takes me to exactly where I wanted to go with this. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely had one of those. Because I was thinking about unsafe toys for kids in the 90s, and what immediately popped up in my head were those prizes you can get from the arcades. <laughs> yeah, they were real shit. <laughs> so so they were shitty, but also, I don't know if you remember or if you guys had these, but so dangerous. I remember being like four or five years old and actually thinking to myself, like, I shouldn't be playing with this. Like, as a little kid, like, like thinking to myself, like, why do I get to play with that? There were these, <laughs> they look like marbles, but they were made out of like flint or something. And if you moved them together, they would spark. Oh, do you know what I'm talking shit. about? Yeah, I kind of remember those. Do you remember those? Yeah, that is like a really wild loud. toy for a kid. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, uh, somewhere between five and 10 years old, like winning those with seven tickets or whatever. They were always cheap, you know? And then there was the, uh, it was like a tube of like rubber, silicone rubber, like multicolored, and it came with a little straw. And you would ball up the rubber and put it on the straw, and you could blow up basically like little bubble balloons with them. Hmm. And it smelled so toxic. <laughs> and it was extremely flammable. Like that weird Nickelodeon gag stuff? Yeah, this was before that, but yes. <laughs> i can't believe it we survived these Dude, kids will never know our struggle <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that gack stuff remember it came in like a little tube kind of like play-doh yep so i was at a bar one night and it was an open mic night and this dude got on the stage and attempted to do stand-up comedy, and it was all centered around a little tub of gack that he was just holding up to the microphone and making different fart sounds with. <laughs> this sounds like my kind of comedy. It was so weird as shit. It was all that and, like, a few different lines about smoking pot. It, like, it, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was one of the weirdest shit I've ever seen, where it so really made me think that there are some people... That, that get up on a stage on an open mic night that are probably legitimately mentally ill. Or like one of those, like, they're all sitting around smoking or whatever and like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if uh, uh, I did this? <laughs> and then and then they actually do it. Like, most people don't follow through on those things. <laughs> so you got you to gotta so give it to that guy. For... Along the way where that guy could have changed his mind. It's like you had to put your name on a clipboard. You had to wait until your name was called. No, he's a man of his word. <laughs> I'm here. I've got my gack. He's a man of honor. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, back to arcades, though. They've still got those with, like, the tickets and everything. Only now, everything is driven off, like, a, a little, like, credit card. Yeah. So, so instead of putting coins in the machines, you load up money on this card, and then you just swipe that. 
And then when you redeem your tickets, they just put those tickets on that card. It's so weird. They had to do that. I, I, one of my first jobs was working at Boomers, which is a fun park here in Fresno and in the California area. And they had to transition to that because people were figuring out how to steal tickets. And I saw it. I, I saw it in the little local one that I worked at. They had to do away with tokens too because people were figuring out how to steal tokens. God damn. And there was a dude I knew that figured out that they weren't disposing of their tickets properly. And we caught him in the trash pulling the tickets out because they weren't disposed of properly after you redeemed them. You're supposed to shred them. Mm-hmm. And somebody wasn't shredding them. And this guy found out. And it was too late. (laughs) (laughs) He had been there forever. Somebody finally caught him years later. Shit. Why why can't people take that ingenuity and like apply it to like world hunger or something like that, you know? But, or, you know, uh, going to an open mic with Gak or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I bet you've seen some fucking pretty weird shit at open mic nights in your time. You know, I've I've started to avoid open mics. <laughs> there has to be a point in, in 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 the career of a musician where you're just like, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. So, as like when I was coming up, before I like kind of established anything, I didn't even know what an open mic was. I didn't understand that that was a thing. And there were times where we got booked on open mics, like my old bands, and we didn't even know that that's what it was. They were just like, Yeah, you can come up and play three songs. And I'd be like, okay, cool, win. And then I'd show up, and then you'd, there'd just be a bunch of randoms there, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, what is, like, going on here? But then we'd do our three songs, and then we'd dip, because it was like, this was weird. I didn't even understand what an open mic was for so long. And then once I understood what they were, I avoided them like the plague. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone to an open mic on purpose after that. And because of my experiences before, until my friends started hosting them, my peers started hosting them, and then I understood what they were for. And when you go into one not knowing what to expect as an artist, it will mess you up. But once you go with the right mindset and even expect to see some shenanigans, like it's they're a blast now. Now that I have a different mindset, I've grown up a little bit, I'm like excited to show up but man i used to avoid them like the plague (laughs) but you know it only takes a few of my friends to change my mind because i love them so much so if they start when they start hosted started hosting them i was like sharing it like hey go out to this go out to this but then they'd be like hey you're gonna come and i'd be like oh probably not (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i don't think i performed at an open mic on purpose i don't think i've gone to one to go get on stage yeah, I've I've only ever like sat and watched. I've I've never had the inclination to get up on stage and and try and do anything. It's one step past karaoke to me. <laughs> never done that before either. Me either. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I won't. It's weird. It I, to I get too nervous doing karaoke. Ooh, explain. I I, I can't. <laughs> I've never felt the anxiety I felt 
performing than if I was at a karaoke night and everybody's like, well, you got to go sing. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Never. But if somebody were to put a beat on and be like, yo, freestyle, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> but no, you want me to sing Make It Last Forever? No, I can't do that. I love that song. <laughs> Would oh, you be able to do karaoke if it was a Farouk song? Or would that still just be too weird? That would be like a whole different level of weird. Yo, that'd be kind of funny. (laughs) I got to start giving my backing tracks to my friends that run karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) This new album is going to come with a karaoke version. There's just instrumental and a a bouncing skull over the lyrics for for the TV screen. I love the the detail of it's a bouncing skull. Well, yeah. It can't just be like the ball or anything like that. It's a middle finger, like a hand with a middle finger up. Oh, that's so cool. I, no, I, can't do karaoke. I, I've never done karaoke in like a public place or with like where you hold a mic or anything like that. But I have done it just like like the YouTube version of it. Just like, you know, like in a basement or something like that with like friends or family. Like oh, I've, sure. I've done like that version of it, but never in like a bar in, in front of people. <laughs> We're playing a lot of rock band lately. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that game that it was, um, <clears throat> the one I played was guitar hero. Right. So rock band actually has a microphone so you could sing along if you wanted to do the singing part. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Speaking of the hundreds of dollars we sent to blue shell down the street, <laughs> we, we found a rock band set up. What all instruments do you have for it? We have the drum set, a guitar, (laughs) and a microphone. Yeah. (laughs) How much room does that drum set take up? Not very much. It compacts down. So it's just maybe just a little spot in our closet. That's so cool, though. It breaks down real nice. (laughs) Can you play the drums at all? Yeah, I'm okay. I keep I keep a beat. I keep a beat. Uh. I actually played drums for a band from 2005, I think. 2005 to 2006, somewhere around there. And basically what I did is I learned like three or four parts that were uh, crucial to hardcore music and then just arranged them accordingly to whatever song we played. That's cool. So I would never call myself a drummer, but I did play the drums for a while. (laughs) I had a kit. I knew, uh, like I said, three or four parts, a couple of transition type fills. And yeah, I just played really hard. (laughs) (laughs) When I was, when I was growing up, my cousin, my cousin Tom had a a drum set and it always, it always looked so cool. I always wanted to be able to play it. I could not, I couldn't do shit on it. And then, uh, <clears throat> I've, I've told this story on here a million times, I think, but when, when, when I was in fifth grade and I was able to join band and I was like, I want to play the drums. They were like, here's your trombone. Oh yeah. It sucked. <laughs> so that was, that was my intro to band was wanting to play drums and instead getting a heavy ass trombone to log back and forth, you know, every morning to school every afternoon on the way home, dragging along this tram, this trombone that I was just resented. That was the fate of a lot of kids back then. I think all the kids that wanted to be in percussion in elementary school that I went to, they had to play 
the the bells, like the little baby xylophone. <laughs> okay. So like that's what they would do if you wanted to be in percussion. They wouldn't straight up just give you a snare drum or a kit or you know anything like that. You would all you would have to learn how to play those little. I think they were called the bells. Those little. It was like a tiny xylophone. We had something similar to that when I was growing up. I think it was called a marimba. Yeah, that was the that's the big one. Yeah, we had big one mallet. of those. This is like it was like small, like almost like the size of like a computer keyboard. Oh, nice. And it had it looked like a baby marimba, but it was like kind of like a platinum silver color. And they they sounded like little bells, but all the notes were like they they had all the notes like a like a piano. And then, like, as you progressed, you would get, if you got to move up, whoever was the sickest on the bells would get to play the drum kit for the jazz band, basically. <laughs> that was that was what I think. So there was one kid that got to jump up, you know, one or two. Uh, <laughs> the one who was sickest on the bells. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what Mr. Hole said. Hey, who's the sickest on the bells? Get to the kit. <laughs> Drop some beats for me. That's what I remember him saying. Drops beats. <laughs> no, Mr. Hole would have never talked like that. He was a square. Oh, dude. When when I got to um when I was approaching like junior or no, I was in junior high and the high school jazz band teacher knew that I could read um bass was it bass bass clef? Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, yes, you definitely said this on the last. Yeah, one. and so he was like, he was like, I'll teach you how to play bass guitar, and he was holding it up way high, like he looked like a like a beetle singing. I want to hold your hand. Yeah, that's exactly how Mister Hole plays with his <laughs> giant Coke bottle glasses. I'd take the guitar from him and just let the strap way down so I could like uh, like extend my arms out, and he's like, No, 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 you hold it up here. I'm like, I can't. No. <laughs> like I can't play this thing like a T Rex, dude. I have to beat myself up if I play that high. <laughs> the first band I was in, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and I played the bass in like a metal, metallic, metal hardcore type band. Awesome. And all I did was just play whatever my guitars played. I learned what he played on guitar and I played that on bass. And he was getting more and more technical. So as we progressed, his guitar got higher and higher. And since I learned everything from him, my guitar got higher and higher. And eventually I was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> I had to go back down. <laughs> and even our first show, we played this warehouse show. Like in this area that's just nothing but businesses, somebody's dad had a warehouse. We all just set up a PA and had a show. And seeing how his guitar was higher, I put mine a little bit higher for the show, thinking I need to play this right. This is our first time playing in front of people. And as I'm playing, I'm rocking out and I and I'm headbanging. And I see my guitar swinging his guitar and I'm like, oh, that looks fun. So I do that too, but as I'm headbanging, I time it wrong and I end up hitting myself in the eye oh. with, with the little knob that holds the strap. Oh no. You know the little thing that pops out there you put the strap onto? Uh-huh. Yeah, I hit myself in the eyebrow and completely busted my eyebrow open. Ooh. Like Head like it looked like bleed, I got, bleed really bad. Yeah, I got it looked like I got hit with a razor blade, but because <laughs> like I'm just in the zone and just playing my heart out, I don't realize it. I just keep going. I just, I hit my head and hope nobody saw, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I just keep going. I'm trying to play it off. 
And then I see out of the corner of my eye, under my hair, my hair was like like stupid long. Uh, it was ugly. I look like one of the Beatles. <laughs> shameful, shameful time in my life. Uh, I look up and I see my friends and they're all like elbowing each other and like pointing to me and like whispering to each other. And I'm like, oh man, are they, are they roasting me right now? Like what's going on? Like, are they making fun of me? Cause to be honest, like my friend group was pretty toxic. Like we were pretty bad to each other. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I don't care. I'm still going to go nuts. And then in between songs, one of my other friends, uh, who's like a six foot five monster, even in high school reaches down from the heavens with a tissue and he wipes the side of my face with it and he shows it to me and it's soaking in blood. Oh, I was like, Oh, and so I had to like, like run. I don't even know if we finished our set or if it was near the end. It's all blur. This was literally 20 years ago, (laughs) Uh, but I ended up having to go clean up and I had a, I still have a scar on my eyebrow. Like one of my eyebrows is split on the left side. From that, because I wanted to play up high like Mikey was, <laughs> should have just known what to do instead and kept it where it was comfy. Busted my eyebrow. But I was a legend in school after that. <laughs> yeah, I was so metal. I was officially metal. That's what it was. You're, you're playing metal on the stage, bleeding from a head wound. <laughs> oh, it wasn't even a stage, man. It was in a warehouse. It was just on the, on the concrete floor. <laughs> even better. Was that yeah. your first live show then ever? Uh, I think we had had a backyard show like a couple weeks before. Wow. So pretty much like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which was what like, not even a sh- <laughs> it wasn't even a show. Like the backyard one was like, Hey, we're all jamming in the backyard. And then it, it just kind of turned into a show a little bit. It's like more and more bands start showing up, but you know, this was in 2002. Things were different. Nobody was going live. Like, hey, we're playing in the backyard. Come on through, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You just had to get the right house. Oh, they called the drummer's house. We all practiced at the drummer's house. Perfect. <laughs> like, nobody had cell phones. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe the second show, but the first official promoted show that, you know, had people there that were deliberately there to see us play. I'm busting my head open. <laughs> Henry Rollins cool. on his, uh, I think it's his Think Tank spoken word album. He's got this story on there about the first time he ever played in Brazil. And he got so like hyped up backstage that when he went out, he like jumped up in the air and head banged at the same time. And he kneed himself right in the face and knocked himself unconscious in front of like a crowd of 30,000 people. <laughs> yes. I've had so many of those. This is the this is the music subject matter that we haven't touched on yet. All my bloopers. Yes, like we had, please. We had, well, we had two or three episodes of legitimate like programming, and then it's like this show is the the clip show where we revisit old bits and go behind and the music and talk the uh, the bloopers, like the the stage dives where nobody caught me. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Those those are pretty often. I got what I got good at doing is finding people big enough to to break my fall. And so I knew that even if they didn't catch me, I'd bounce off of them enough to land safely. <laughs> so it stopped being about people catching me and more being about they're going to slow me down enough to where I could do like the little roll, like where you tuck and roll after you fall. <laughs> That's incredible. So 
Yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, actually, early in the Farouk days, I, I broke a dude's nose doing that, which was a bummer. Let my bass player tell it, and I threw a Macho Man Randy Savage elbow off the stage straight to this guy's nose. <laughs> but really, I dove forward and then turned my back. And when I turned my back and he caught me, my elbow got loose and I busted him in the face. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, front flipped off a stage once and st- uh, I, la- I rotated so fast that I landed on my butt onto the crowd, but I landed on top of a dude's head. <laughs> so it was like tailbone to skull. That one sucked for both of us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I gave that guy a concussion. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, because he caught well, he caught me afterwards. Oh damn. It was during my friend's band and I went up there and did some singing along and then I stage dove. That's what you're supposed to do. You don't just stand up there on stage like a freaking idiot. You jump. <laughs> So of course I busted a front flip because it was a big stage and a giant crowd. So you have to you have to get extra points that day. And <laughs> it was not a graceful front flip. Like I was trying to I don't know why I was trying to land on my feet. There was tons of people there. And when I landed on him, I felt like I hit the ground. I'm like, did what happened? And then I realized that I'm on this guy's shoulder and he catches me and he brings me down. He's like, bro, that was you landed right on my head, man. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, I'm so sorry. And I'm like holding my stomach and my back because I just landed straight on my tailbone on this dude's head. And he was like, yeah, man, I think you might've knocked me out or something. I'm like, are you good? He was like, that was fucking awesome, man. I'm like, yeah, for sure. And I just went to the pit, like got to the mosh pit. I'm sure that guy had a concussion that day because man, I hit him full force. (laughs) <laughs> straight onto his skull and he saw he said he saw the whole thing <laughs> was like, it was a really good flip bro <laughs> he was like so mesmerized by it that he didn't like calculate out the landing zone of it. yeah i guess not i yeah it was one of those deals where you just like when you're playing dodgeball and you see the ball coming right for your face but you don't know what to do and you're just like uh <laughs> Time just kind of slows down. You're yeah. seeing like each individual stitch on the ball. Oh <laughs> Until you hear that ping. Oh, shit. I think most recently, uh, right before the pandemic, I went to go see the Warriors play in Santa Cruz. And uh, their singer is a good friend of mine. And they played one of their old songs. So, of course, I rushed the stage. He didn't know I had showed up there yet. So I rushed the stage and he's like, and I grabbed the mic from him. And he didn't even realize it was me until he made eye contact with me. Like, it's just some random dude jumping up onto the stage and grabbing him. He realizes it's me. So he gives me the mic. I start singing the song and I just do the first verse and I was going to jump off. I'm not going to do the whole song. That's disrespectful. So I hand the mic back to him and I go to jump off. And I did the forward jump, turn to the side because I didn't want to land stomach first or anything else first on somebody's head. Uh-huh. And as I turned to the side and turned backwards, nobody caught me. Ooh. So I ended up like upending myself almost. And the first thing that landed was my side and my hip straight onto like hardwood. And it hurt so bad. I was bruised for almost a month and a half. Fuck, I'd believe it, dude. Yeah, it sucked. And somebody got video of it. I posted it. Uh, I think I posted it on TikTok. 
<laughs> and on Instagram immediately. It was when I was staying in San Jose. So I had to drive uh, about an hour, or maybe 45 minutes from Santa Cruz to San Jose that night with like, I was like standing up driving home because I was so sore. Yeah. Oh, that's and the then, last thing I would want to do is have to cram myself into a car and then just sit yeah. like that. Because the worst part was probably getting back out of the car afterwards. Yeah. And then I get home and my cousin, who's like a sister to me that I was staying with in San Jose, she just got the biggest kick out of it. That's what you get for jumping off the stage like that, stupid. Ha ha ha. She's laughing at me so hard. <laughs> and she's telling everybody, like pointing and laughing. I love her so much. That's 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 our relationship. You know what I mean? And so she's telling everybody in the house. And then I wake up the next day and she's like, how you feeling? Ha, 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 ha. Where's it hurt? And she's like poking at me and stuff. Oh. And I look into my like direct messages and somebody that was at the show that I knew on social networking was like, hey, dude, I got you stage diving and I got you up on stage. And I'm like, oh, really? And they send it to me and you can see me just disappearing as I stage dive. <laughs> so, you know, of course, I show my cousin, hey, you want to see it? She's like, no way. You found video? And I'm all, yeah. And she's like crying, laughing before she even sees it. And she's like, send it to me. And she's sending it to all of her friends. Hey, look what my cousin did. <laughs> Well-documented spills. Oh, shit. So this one's got a companion piece for the blooper reel. It's also got a social networking post somewhere that I need to repost. God, I've always been on the heavier side, so I've never even considered stage, stage diving an option. <laughs> like, fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm out of stage diving shape right now. I need to lose at least uh, 40 at this point. God, I remember friends telling me like their experiences with it. I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. Like, it doesn't sound comfortable at all. It's, it's like being in a fight and throwing your hardest punch. If it lands, you're a legend. If you miss you get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the gamble I'm going to take. I'm just going to, these days now it's like, I'll enjoy my show from the balcony. Yeah. Well, this is my low light reel that you're going through, but you know, for, <laughs> this is true <laughs> for, for every one of those. There was a glorious moment where I landed it perfectly or I found my friends in the crowd and they're calling me cause they know what I'm about. It was when I was smaller. I was there's a point where I was like 115 pounds, so it was just like, yeah, go ahead, stage dive on oh, me, whatever. That's perfect size for it. Yeah, so I had friends that like they would help me get onto stage and be like, hey, over here, we got you, you know. And then you end up getting to crowd surf for a while, which is freaking awesome. Um, one time I jumped off and during a band where, that I didn't even like, but I knew it was going to be a big crowd, so I was going to get to do stupid stuff. So. We, I jumped off the stage, and as I dove, I put my hands out, and I put my thumb down somebody's throat because <laughs> they were singing along. That sucked. <laughs> <laughs> the look on their face was priceless, but it didn't – I felt a tooth on the palm of my hand. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> that's creepy. <laughs> there was some – my favorite one was this band from Buffalo, New York, or Syracuse, somewhere around there. They're called It Dies Today. They played in Fresno maybe in like 2005. It's an excellent I never name. thought I'd get to see them live. They're like a very heavy metalcore, like very mosh heavy band, like just ignorant mosh parts that just, there's no storytelling, just heavy chuggy parts. And they're playing and they play one of their old songs that I was all about, but it's like four years after this song came out. So like 
the singer sees me singing along to this song and I'm the only person in the crowd singing along. And he makes his face at me like, what? Like he was in disbelief. So he starts putting the mic in my face. So I'm singing the song with him. I get up, I, I get onto the stage and then I go and I'm like, I'm going to dive. I know exactly when I'm going to dive. There's a big lead into a breakdown part at the end of the song. And so I get on the stage. These guys are all going nuts. So I like crawl to the side of the stage and I'm just chilling on the wall while they're performing their song. It's really dangerous to be anywhere on the stage when bands like this are playing because they'll they will rock your shit. They don't give a fuck who you are. Like I've seen dudes get hit in the head with guitars, get like Sparta kicked, like everything. <laughs> Sparta so, kicked. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've Sparta kicked somebody. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know who they are or if you do know who they are, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what, what, what could happen. No, that's a really valid point that someone's coming up there. You just put a boot right in their chest. I love it. Yeah. It's a push kick Eat it too. You're not trying to like knock no one out. <laughs> it's more of a defense move. Anyways, I'm at the side of the stage waiting for my part, and the part happens, and it's a big ring out. Dun, and then it's just the drums. Dun, 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 dun. And there's like five of these. Dun, 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 dun. And the singer looks at me, and I look at him, and he's like, oh, I see. Like we're, We have te- telepathy right now, you know? So it comes in. Dun, 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 dun. There's one more, and I start making my way towards him. And at the last Tom hit, I bent down to jump, and he grabs me by the, the back collar of my shirt like I'm a, a, a newborn puppy. And he launches me over the whole crowd, like over the front row of people <laughs> that were standing there because I couldn't clear them myself. It was a short stage. So dun, 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 jump. And as I jump, he grabs me and just throws me up into the air, and I like, jump and like turn and i landed perfectly on the crowd and i'm singing along the last part while i'm crowd surfing with him like with a mic in my face it was glorious it was the knockout punch <laughs> that's epic <laughs> so for so I, i've always wanted to relive that so then i go to the warriors and i'm like you know t- 15 years later trying to relive that <laughs> to no avail <laughs> <laughs> but i'll never forget that that was that was like in 2005 when that happened and it was like i did it i wanted to do it i timed it perfectly without his help i i couldn't clear the crowd without his help that's why i was chilling on the stage i forgot about that part is i had tried to dive back into the crowd but they were mad at me and one of them swung on me because i was trying to dive onto them and they didn't want people stage diving onto them because people were trying to head walk too and that's just irresponsible What's Have that? you ever heard of it? It's exactly what it sounds like. They'll run across the stage and then jump and then with their feet try to walk across the heads. Oh, of fucking how rude. It is not okay. <laughs> but you don't stage dive feet first. That's distasteful. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I needed homeboy to grab to 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 give me an assist <laughs> in the jump. He really grabbed me by the back of my collar. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I'm five foot six. I probably weighed one fifteen. You know what I mean? So he was like, "I got you, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that'd have been the perfect frame to get into climbing. You'd have been a crusher. Oh, see, at, and when I was working at Boomers, we had a rock wall that I always worked. Oh, were you able to crush it? Oh yeah, because they have the <laughs> the weights on the other side, so they help. It helps you. You know what I mean? 
Oh, really? So you're getting like a, a top rope that kind of pulls you. Yeah. Because when you jump down, it, it would the weight of it would help you come down slower, you know? Oh, okay. I'm getting it. So as you're climbing, that weight's going, and then if they fall, it's it's enough to just decelerate them and, and give them to the ground slowly. Yeah, and because it's like a public little fun park for kids and stuff, like the weight is very helpful. Like there were kids that were too light to go on there because it would just carry them up. <laughs> Here's your elevator ride. <laughs> yes. So what would end up happening is they'd uh, somebody would be working that attraction, and a they would put you know a freaking toddler up there because they're dumb, and you know the weight I think is forty pounds. And the toddler's like 30 or whatever. I don't know anything about kids. (laughs) And this little kid would go floating up this rock wall because the parents wanted him to climb. And now he's up at the top of the rock wall crying his eyes out. And he's right. The Well, this was the, the most idiotic thing. The easiest one was right next to the most difficult one. <laughs> so staff had to climb the hardest one to rescue the kid. So I had to climb the hardest one to rescue the kid. <laughs> and I could, I got good at it, but like it took a minute to get good at it. Cause like there is no holds really. And you really got to fly up that thing. So it's so when there's a kid, you know, the snot bubble and everything. So I used to have to climb up there and then grab the thing. And then we would both float down super slow because now I don't just have 40 pounds holding me up. I have 80 pounds. Yeah. So there's only a, a, a you know 30-pound difference now. <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a fun job, though. It was a cool job, man. I had a lot of fun there. For, for a teenager, early 20s, it was perfect. There was a lot of uh, hijinks and shenanigans. I know any time that I took beginners out and we would just set up a top rope on some easy route and then just camp out there for a few hours and, you know, I'd just belay and just watch people kind of experience that for their first time and, and watch them go through all the, the emotions and stuff with it. And it was always a fun time. It's not very good for the environment around there to have a bunch of people camped out like that because vegetation and shit tends to get trampled. But back in those days, I, I was... I was oblivious to that sort of shit. <clears throat> so, because <laughs> if I were to do that now, I'd be looking around being like, I'd be like the stick in the mud being like, everybody pick a spot and stay there. <laughs> <laughs> Quit fucking wandering around. Stay on the trail. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm trying to work back up to that, though. I've I've uh, been um, using the, the climbing wall in my garage uh, quite a bit recently. And uh, last night's workout... I, I stayed exclusively on the 30 degree wall. So it's like, whoa. Yeah. 30 degrees. That's overhanging. super cold. Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the 30 degree overhanging, not, not 30 degree temperature. I have an ice wall in my garage. <laughs> my fingers have frostbite, but it was worth it. Uh, if I, when I go out there and train in the winter, my fingers will get frostbite. Damn near. All the ice cream's over there by the 30 degree wall. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about um, trying to relive, like, you know, younger day glories. That's what I want to do with this. There's a couple different boulders that that I established problems on back when I was a really strong climber that I would love to go back and repeat now in my 40s. And so that's kind of like the goal that I'm working towards is to get get fit enough to go and send 
uh, the spice must flow again because that route is fucking sick. That's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> Very Star Wars. It was from um, uh, Dune. The spice must flow. Do they sell spice in Dune too? Uh, Star Wars actually ripped off the idea of spice from Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, Sorry, George, George Lucas universe? was like super influenced by Frank Herbert's book Dune when he created Star Wars. And so that's why Star Wars, there's spice smuggling and spice runners and stuff. It's kind of a, a nod to Dune. So what is spice? It's drugs, right? In the, in the book Dune, the spice is this uh, drug that it has like all these different benefits. Like people who regularly take it uh, don't really get sick from anything anymore. So it has health benefits that way. And it'll expand your life like a few times. So like if you're wealthy enough to take spice on a daily basis, you can live to be up to like 300 years old. Sweet. And it also has um, uh, the ability to unlock like kind of time in people's minds. So the spacing guild, who are the people that kind of control all the space travel, they have navigators that they'll take a human being that's like, like they're been just like saturated with spice in their diet. And then they'll put them in like a glass container and then fill it up with spice gas. And it'll actually start to like mutate their bodies and they'll be less human looking, but they can see into the future for very limited amounts of time enough to actually like find a path through what they called fold space because the engines that are in their spaceships and these highliners in Dune, they can fold space. So to calculate this distance where the spaceship travels instantaneously, the the guild navigators or the steersmen have to calculate this path through fold space. And the only way they can do it is to be able to see into the future for a limited amount of time. So this, without the spice, there's no interstellar space travel. Um, the Bene Gesserit, who's this like sisterhood of of women that have like these really near superhuman abilities that have just come from like training and really understanding the body and stuff like that. They use the spice to basically go through kind of like a poisoning torture type thing where it'll unlock genetic memories in that person's mind, in that woman's mind, if she survives it and she will have like access to every single memory of like going back on the mother's side, like, to wow. like the dawn of time, basically. And she can go into her mind and like consult those other memories. And that's so awesome. Yeah. And so that's the Reverend Mothers. And then <clears throat> what's the other thing, Spice? Um, Spacing Guild, Benny Jesuit, Prolongs Life. It's only found on one planet in the entire Imperium, and that's Arrakis, which is an entire desert. And so they call it Dune. And it is the most valuable um, commodity in the galaxy. And so for at present day in the, when the book Dune or the story, even the movie, when it starts off, this one house called the Harkonnens have ruled Arrakis and gotten wealthy off it for a very long time. But they're very brutal, like pretty awful people that like really treated the, the local people who live there, the Fremen, they treated them really like shit. And so then the Atreides get given control of Arrakis and they are like lifelong like family vendetta that has gone back for like thousands of years enemies with the Harkonnens and 
you come to find out that they got sent there because the the emperor wants this duke the duke atreides wants him dead and removed and so he kind of secretly helps the harkonnens take him out and so the duke's son paul survives he flees out into the desert gets taken in by the fremen gets super saturated with spice and he's able to see into the future in a way that nobody else really can and so when he goes through this spice torture that like what the Benny Gesserit Reverend Mothers do, it opens up memories in him for both male and female side going all the way back. And he has like perfect clarity to be able to see into the future and stuff. It's a fucking crazy book. So it's basically Scarface, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking crazy book. It's totally awesome. That's like, dope. Uh, and like Herbert, Frank Herbert himself wrote... I think six different books in it. And then after he died, his son, uh, Brian Herbert, teamed up with sci-fi author Kevin J. Anderson. And together they've written a whole shitload more. And so there is just a, uh, there's a fuck ton of Dune, really good Dune books out there to read for anybody who really gets into it. And the recent movie that came out, I don't know if you've seen that yet, that's totally worth watching. It's, it's fucking fantastic. All right, it's on the list. We got a three-day weekend coming up. <laughs> Dude, the Judgment other one, night. the other one. I don't know if you go into go to the theaters much or not, but if there's no. any, <laughs> no, you don't usually? Nah. Okay, this would be worth it then. Go to the theater and see Top Gun Maverick before it leaves its theater run. Really? I, I don't know if you, did you watch the, did you like the first Top Gun movie that came out in like 88 or <sighs> whenever that was? Ah, uh, three-year-old me wasn't really into Tom Cruise back then. <laughs> I was more of a Nick Nolte, uh, Gary Busey type guy in, at, when I was three. <laughs> Dude, this but new no. movie, I just went and saw it last night in the theater, and it was so fucking dope. Like, I love the original one, and I think that this is, I think Top Gun Maverick is one of those movies that is a sequel to a very beloved, very beloved, you know, awesome movie in the sequel that they made for it is better than the original. Like it, it joins that rank of movies like Godfather two Terminator two, you know, the, 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 the sequel is perhaps better than the first one. And the first one's fucking awesome. So you're saying Godfather two is better than Godfather one. Ooh, a lot of people say that. Uh, for me, it's like I, there's things I love about Godfather 2 and things I love about Godfather 1 that it's hard for me to rank them. It's like they're both fucking excellent, but for different just, reasons. Like I love all the flashbacks in the second one. I like the flashback storylines almost better than the the present day storyline in Godfather 2. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... Uh... <laughs> It's kind of like Boba Fett, like half the show was flashbacks. <laughs> I wasn't the biggest Boba Fett detractor, but I'll tell you what, man, that was... I rocked with it 100%, it was but it was very... Disjointed, it was right? Track where it was at. Yeah, but I mean, you know, have we met? It was fine for me. <laughs> it was right up my alley. <laughs> okay, so question about Top Gun Maverick. Yes. How's the soundtrack? Uh, the soundtrack was really good. Because, I mean, the soundtrack for the first one is fantastic, too. Isn't that the Highway to the Danger Zone yes. movie? <laughs> okay, so they have, like, a Machine Gun Kelly version of this song now or something? Oh, no, I did not notice. Like, um, No, I'm asking, like, what what did they do with that song? 
Uh, I think they just re they used it the exact same version of it, as far as I could tell. No, I need a, a auto tuned Little Wayne version of it or something. For this. <laughs> and there's like good classic rock and stuff in it. Also, there's a new original Lady Gaga song that uh, they played at the end that that I thought was really good. See, I think she would kill that Danger Zone song. Oh yeah, like, well, she, she she's just so it? talented. She really is. It took me a while because anything pop, I'm always just like sometimes resistant to it. Dude, I was always popular. that way too. My wife kind of drug me into the the <laughs> the dark side with that, where I was like, okay, I kind of <laughs> appreciate it now. No, you can't you can't deny her talent, and a lot of them have some kind of talent. If they didn't, they wouldn't be where they're at. That's just what it is. That was but, you that know. was kind of my journey with Sia. Where for the longest time it was just like, oh, there was like just her radio hit songs that I would hear. And then my wife kind of got me listen to it more and more. And so then it was like like then I I don't know if it got the album on iTunes or what, but it was like I had easy access to it and I remember listening to it. And then when I got to like the piano version of Elastic Heart, I was like, Oh my god, it totally changed the way I thought about see so yeah, I was like, This is fucking legit. She was like an established uh, songwriter too before then, wasn't she? Like, I'm pretty sure she had her hands in some pretty big songs before she took off as a solo. She's got a beautiful voice, though. Yeah. Her Christmas album's really good, too. <laughs> Listen to a lot of that over the years. <laughs> Man, I've been tempted to do a Christmas album so many times. Oh my God, that would be fucking incredible. Because <laughs> it's just like all those songs are royalty free. Oh, they're 100%. They're so, they're yeah, they're all public domain, right? Yeah, so I don't have to do no paperwork. Have <laughs> you heard that that thing on um, uh, with DMX doing Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? Yeah, yes, <laughs> it's that so is my good. my Christmas music. His his reading. There was a, somebody edited a Reading Rainbow song with him too, <laughs> where it's the Reading Rainbow song, but in the spaces, his ad libs, his barking, and his grunts and everything. <laughs> yes. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, come on! (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) One of my uh, another influence when I was writing early on was DMX. I had his album "It's Dark and Hell Is Hot" in 1997 or eight, whenever that came out. That's a fucking awesome album. I had so many of those songs memorized. I didn't realize it till after he passed away, and then I went back to listen to that particular album, and then realized that I knew almost every song because I had that CD. And so, you know, you only get so many compact discs when you're a certain age. So I learned the whole whole disc, apparently. I even knew the interludes. <laughs> <laughs> See, then I was memorizing, like, Bloodhound Gang. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mighty Tidy Whitey and your smuggling plums? <laughs> Dude, they're one fierce beer coaster album. It's like, I probably have almost that entire thing still committed to memory. It's like, it's just taking up like forever space in my memory banks. Yeah, you need somebody to front flip on your head for that one to go out of there. <laughs> I do have a, uh, I do, man, maybe I'll do a Christmas album. Or that just would like be a Christmas awesome. EP. Cause I have it, I have a cool little setup here where I can now completely write and record my own songs by myself. Oh, that's incredible. So I have a, I made a digital drum kit, basically, out of like good drum samples that I found. And so now I could use 
the same equipment I do to make my instrumentals, my, my beats, but I have real drum sounds. So I'm able to demo uh, the, the demo I sent you of that uh, Fresno Strong style song. I sent you that, right? Uh, I think so. I know you've sent me maybe two different things. Let's see, start. Yeah, the Fresno Strong Style intro I sent you last month. I did that entire thing by myself. Oh, nice. So that's, Dude, that's my so fake... cool. Like the amount that's... of independence that that gives you to just, you know, do things at your own pace. Uh, you go so many years with flaky ass musicians and you just you either let it kill you or you let it make you better. That one that you sent me with with the video, that was so oh, fucking good. Dude, I listened you, to that thing so many times. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually, I was trying to get us to release that in 2020. And uh, the label wanted to actually roll it out the right way. So we had to hold off because they wanted to do things smart. Which I I get it, you know? I get it completely. Yeah. But I was just like, ah, let's just put it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stoked. I want people to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now we have like the whole album. I should be going to record the vocals for it within the next couple of weeks. Ooh, I can't fucking wait, dude. Oh, oh my God. Else. I'm so stoked for new Farouk. Yeah. Oh, you. oh my God. Yeah. You, well, you'll you be getting lots of text messages from me that week. Awesome. <laughs> be like, God damn, he really is listening to it a lot. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Like it means so much stuff like that really keeps us going. Like I feel like. Uh, I don't really get to do the kind of promo or don't really, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to be like a salesperson for the music. Yeah, no, I I get that. Just kind of create it. And if it finds ears dope and if I find opportunities to get it to more ears, that's awesome. But like, I don't know. I just so much to do. And I think my weak point is always trying to get it to new ears. But then like when I finally do the, the reaction is crazy and it it makes me remember like, it makes me rethink my habits, my poor promotion habits. Cause it's like, wow, people really do dig this. And it really does resonate with people. Like it's, it's very, very gratifying and it very much refreshes the artistry for people like you or my buddy, Steven out in Australia that find our music and feel so strongly about it. Like, cause I feel strongly about it, man. And it's, Sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking to take something so seriously and have people not paying attention to it. And so when you finally meet somebody that it connects with, it's, it makes it all worth it. Like my dad will ask me, like, why do you do this? Or you're going to go out on tour, but you're going to lose all kinds of money or barely break even. Like, why do you do this? And it's like, because there is somebody in every single city that we meet that has been listening to us and waiting to see us. And that has our songs memorized. And that is something that you can't put a price on. You just can't. It's worth everything. So I can't wait to get you a new Farouk, man. Yeah, dude. So fucking stoked. Like, I don't know. Heat's one of my favorite albums. Like, legit. Like, I, I love it so much. That trips me out, man. I'm I'm happy about that. That we really <laughs> that I, I think well, I already told you the story of how that one came to be. So it was like the fact that 
it connected with such a when it connects with people like yourself it means extra to me no offense to anybody else but like i when me and philly like started kind of crafting our sound you know 10 years ago we thought about like are we going to be a band that like everybody likes we're going to be a band that the other bands like and i feel like we're artists artists you know what i mean like rappers would say oh i'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper like I feel like Farouk can be that for a lot of people. There are a lot of other artists that really dig and respect what we do. And that means a ton to have our peers be into what we do or to have other creative people be into what we do because I don't know, it shows a level of refinement in, in, in a style of music that you wouldn't think would be refined or have artistry. Like I believe that if we didn't have that, then people like yourself probably wouldn't dig us. It probably wouldn't connect as the same. So it means a lot, man. Hell yeah, dude. I am I am happy and proud to support you guys. Thank <laughs> because, you. Because it's like you yeah, the it's I don't know, that album just spoke to me. Like the the first time I listened to it, I think I listened to the album three times in a row. It's like I just kept it on on repeat that day. You didn't skip any songs? No. <laughs> no, it was just start at the beginning, play it all the way through. And then, you know, as soon as you get to that screaming intro in the first track again, it's like, oh, here we go. This is ride number two. <laughs> oh, just ride in. <laughs> it's a fucking excellent, dude. And so what are, you, what are your favorites then? Oh, oh okay. Hold on. See, I have a problem with just listening to songs and then totally forgetting what they're actually called. Oh, well, no, that's not a problem for our music because it's just chaos as soon as it's done. <laughs> it's not like I'm like, hey, this next song's called uh, Stone Cold Steve Hawking. <laughs> Dude, that's that one is probably my favorite. I fucking love that. I love that song so much to the point where it's like I have to like sneak in part of that chorus like as dialogue that like a character is saying to another character is part of a warning in like some future book that's going to happen. Dude, the fact that like we'll get to live on through your your writings, you have my permission, blessing, and whatever else you need to put as many of my lyrics in your writing as possible. <laughs> nice, nice, dude. That's dude. that's all I needed to hear because that that'll totally go in now. <laughs> to, to have that crossover would be so dope. Which yeah. one? Uh, the, the, the giant that appears. The giant that appears. Yes. <laughs> to a speck of sand or to a speck of dust, because I say both. I know. It's like, which one will I choose? Because I know you say both of them. Uh, probably, do a speck of, probably do a speck of sand. But maybe sand a speck of dust. Sand is the one that, that repeats in the song. I don't know. We'll see what I'm feeling when I write that part. But I've already kind of like, I already kind of know the context of how it's going to happen. And That's it's, so awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the, the character that says the line is going to be using it as a warning. Saying, you know, if you choose this path, you know, the, but, you know, I'll change it around a little bit. You know, the something that appears will turn the something to a speck of dust or will turn your something to a, a speck of dust. And so it's like, you know, I, I, I know it's like, I see the hazy concept of it now and I know how it's going to go. Dude, I'm <laughs> grinning ear to ear. That's a trip. <laughs> I think it's quite, yeah, no, for sure. It's going to be towards the beginning of book two. Well, the only reason I use speck of dust in the beginning of the song is because I wanted the, the, I wanted dust, that phonic to, to line up well with when I say beyond fucked, 
<laughs> so I needed a similar <laughs> vowel sound so it felt pleasing to my ear. Oh, yeah. So Stone Cold Steve Hawking on there is probably my favorite. I love owning it. I love Get to Work. Get to Work is one of those songs where it's like, that is like a highly motivational song to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's time. It's time to get to work. Oh, like, yes, it is fucking time. Oh, you know, like whatever you're really doing. Just trying to draw. Uh, I was really just trying to write an entrance theme for a pro wrestler. That's all I was look like. Oh, it's that's excellent. exactly what I was trying to do for that. <laughs> Seriously, like every song on this album, I love mall metals. Great. The story. I love the story. When it breaks down to that, we didn't take that advice. I'm just like, fuck yeah, you didn't. <laughs> there was, there was, uh, that reminds me, there was lines cut out of that song. Oh, no shit? Yeah, because I was doing a lot of like, when I was tracking, I only had eight hours for the 10 songs. So I threw in every idea I possibly could because I knew I wasn't going to get another chance in that studio. So, uh, after I laid all the vocals, I went over it with the label head. And then I was like, look, I put everything down. Let's take out what doesn't need to be there. And so for that song, I think before I, we didn't take that advice. Now this is the life, right? Is that one or yeah. that part? Yep. In between advice and this is the life, I actually said, oh, shit. It was like, we didn't take that advice. Oh, shit. Now, this is the light. It was like I came to the realization. <laughs> That's and cool. And I said, oh, shit. And I liked it. And I remember the, the label head being like, "Now nah, we got to cut that. And I'm like, oh, man, like I really dig how that progresses. And he's like, no, the oh, shit is implied. Do it live or wait for people to say it live, but don't put it in the record because it's a bit – it's too much. It, and, and he's a guitar guy, and he's really about letting guitar parts breathe. So that taught me a lot about – Hey, sometimes you got to sacrifice certain phrases or every or anything if the entire song will benefit from it. Yeah. So yeah, it was we didn't take that advice. Oh shit. No, <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> How often do you have little bits that, you know, it's like the the studio, you know, album version doesn't quite go this way, but whenever you play it live, you always have to throw that in. Do you do that with very many songs? Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> so much that I started watch, like started watching back old parts or old uh, sets and being like, okay, I need to stop talking over our set. Because sometimes I'll get too much into crowd control mode. And then I end up, in my opinion, kind of taking away from the performance of the other guys up there. When like, again, it's about letting guitar parts breathe or drum parts breathe or all that. Like, I don't need to be a host. There's already enough going on in these songs. So some of the sets that we would do maybe uh, four or five years ago, I'm very active on the mic. I'm very much have things that I say in between songs or like little, little different asides or, I mean, the songs are committed to muscle memory by now. So like I don't even have to think about what to say next for the song. So my brain gets kind of bored. So I start looking around the crowd. Uh, one of the things I would do is if I'd see a friend walk in during our set, I would work their lyric with their name into the lyrics of the song. <laughs> so I would just find a way to just replace a word with their name. Um, yeah, there was too much of it. So uh, more more of our recent sets that we had done, I've kind of kicked back on that because i don't know i thought it was 
it was having fun, but it was a little bit in poor taste, like looking back because it was, I don't know. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And so like looking back, it was like, yeah, this may be entertaining for some people, but it might be annoying for other people. And you know who it might really be annoying for, but they don't even realize it because they're just like, ah, he's just doing his thing is my other bandmates. Because I'm talking over their guitar parts. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'm talking over their the drum parts. You know? And there's certain times where that's appropriate. And there's but the thing is I was maxing out on stage. So in studio, I was also maxing out. And so that's why I have like collaborators now that I trust, like my engineer slash bass player slash food for life hobby, who I will sing his praises every time I get a chance. We've already talked about him a million times. And I'll talk about him a million times more. He's a good quality control guy who understands me enough as an artist, but also his mind for music and tech, the technical side of it is just out of this world. So he's, he's one of my, I'd, I'd say like a quality control people or like a governor, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Where he's, he's like, ah, too much, you know, <laughs> cut that, cut that. <laughs> And uh, also Aaron, my lady Aaron, uh, she's she's a great quality control because she knows my catalog very well. And her, she's like the tastemaker in the house when it comes to the music. She's anybody that is going to be huge in two years. She's already listening to them now. Oh, nice! And she's been that way since I met her in 2013 or 2014. Whenever we met, like she was sending me. Did you ever get into Best Coast? No. They they got really big on the underground maybe around 2016, I'd say. But she was listening to them in 2014. What kind of music is that? They're they're kind of like a dreamy like indie rock. Hmm, cool. They're really good or uh Santi Gold, have you heard Santi Gold? Huh. She's she's another artist that you know uh, barely anybody listened to and then you know she's got like a million plays on Spotify now and again Aaron listening to him in 2014 <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, or who's the the new one that she just hit Caliucci's uh, have you heard of her uh-uh. she's she's like about to be like a pop star and she's already got some some big songs um can't remember the the one popular one she's she has off off the top of my head, but Aaron again has been listening to Caliucci's for years and years and years and years and years. Caliucci's barely hit the radio last year. Wow. Yeah, I'm so she's, I'm so... she's my tastemaker, so I trust her word when it comes to editing what I got going. That's awesome to have somebody like that in your corner. Um Yes. Like I trust me, her. I am like so like for the last week I've been listening to just like white zombie. <laughs> for whatever reason like all of a sudden i just like got obsessed with like i'm gonna listen to astro creep 2000 over and over and i'm also gonna listen to super sexy swinging sounds which is like the <laughs> remix album of astro creep 2000 and so it's like i've just had those two on repeat while doing like yard work and stuff like that it's been fucking great <laughs> like, i forgot how fucking awesome those albums are i remember listening to a little bit of of white zombie when i was uh Maybe in junior high with my best friend. <laughs> like Thunderkiss 65? Uh, what was the song? Something about you want to rumble? Yeah. Something, something. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that might have been on their first album. That was, that one hasn't been in the rotation. I, I should probably throw that one back in. Or was it Rob Zombie? Did or did he like go on his own later on? He went on his own later on. So they released, I think, two regular albums as White Zombie. I think that La, La Sexorcisto Devil Music Volume One. <laughs> that was with like uh, uh, Thunderkiss '65 and uh, I think uh, it's Black Black Lightning, maybe. Thunder Kiss sixty five. I thought I had funny songs. Thunder, titles. that one's awesome. Dun 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 dun. dun oh yes, dun, dun, okay. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, everybody knows that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the song I was talking it's about. There's excellent. like a little interlude part where you, you hear somebody in the background like you want to rumble or something like. Oh, that. Oh, she's like she's like I never try anything. I just do it. Want to try me? Want to try dun. me? That's what it is. Dun dun dun. Oh yeah. <laughs> fucking excellent. Um, dude, that was like one, um, Thunderkiss 65 was like one of my intros, like into metal where it was like, yeah, I think that was a lot of people's, it was, I think there was a low, uh, like a underground back to pro wrestling ECW back in the, <laughs> the mid nineties, I think used that as their intro music for their, their like uh TV show. Oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. See, I'll never know the song titles. You got to give me the riffs. You got to give me the Jun Juns, <laughs> the Dun Duns. Yeah, because I think in like, like pretty much all at the same time, I discovered White Zombie, Pantera, Nine Inch Nails, Tool, like just a whole bunch. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, their first album. Yeah, just like a whole bunch of stuff like all at once. And then it was like, this is my new type of music that uh, is the best fucking thing ever. And from there, I just kept getting heavier and heavier to the point where, you know, I was in like seventh grade and I had Cannibal Corpse albums. Yeah. <laughs> this like fucking rocking out to Hammer burr, Smashed Face. Burr. I was about to say Hammer Smashed Face. <laughs> How about uh, Dying Fetus? Did you ever get into them? Which one? Dying Fetus. Uh, nope. Never heard of that one. That's a... That's a more late, great name. Late nineties, <laughs> late nineties, early two thousand. Um, honestly, you listen to Dying Fetus, you will figure out my entire style. <laughs> I'll have like, to check it out. Most of the stuff I I write myself now, lately is is just like I was born listening to Dying Fetus or something like that. Like they just have a cool bounce to their music. Oh, every other like mosh part sounds like you could rap to it. So it just, it connects with me in all the right ways. Oh yeah. I've been playing a more and more for Aiden when we've been in the car together. And one of the last ones I did was, uh, took him on like a tour of rage against the machine. Oh man. Their first three albums are all so fucking good. There's like not a bad song on them. No, just everything was done with a hundred percent sincerity too. And that's what connected with me. There was no, there's nobody else that sounded like them either. When that, when their first album came out, it was like it, nobody else really sounded like that. And then it felt like within a few years, there was all sorts of hardcore bands out there that's frontman had a much more of a rap presentation than metal presentation, but they were kind of doing this thing. Yeah. Did you ever listen to Inside Out? Mm, I don't think so. So that was Zach's band, hardcore band, before he did Rage. Oh, no, I have not heard that. 
Yeah, they had a song called, I think it's called No Spiritual Surrender. It was like, everybody I knew in the hardcore scene uh, in the early 2000s covered that song. Oh, sweet. I'm going to check and that it, out. Yeah, their Inside Out was really like, really influential at their time before he went and did Rage. Also influential band, uh, Hatebreed. They're oh, 20. yeah, I love Hatebreed. So I think Perseverance turns 20 this year, and they're touring the East Coast off of Perseverance, which I'm going to kick myself until I die if I don't see them when they come to California with that. <laughs> I think me and Philly even like talked about uh, t- catching a flight for one of their performances out there because pr- that album is is my album. That like That one really caught. I really needed that album when I heard it, and I it got me through some times. I remember after our first podcast and you were sending me all sorts of different albums to check out. That was one of them. Yeah. And, and that one clicked with me right away where I was like, Oh, this is fucking excellent. Yeah. I think if, if, if I don't listen to perseverance back in 2003, I don't write, get to work in 2018. Wow. Straight up. <laughs> A little butterfly effect stuff is fucking sweet. Where you think yeah. about the different branches, you know, the that the or the different forks that your trail of life goes through and, and what things influence you at one point, you know, and if that thing wasn't there, what would your life have been like? Yeah. You know, because like with me, it's like I'm I'm doing this podcast, I've been doing it for over five years now, but you rewind the clock enough and it's like if I had never watched a bootleg copy of Deadpool and then wanted to listen to a podcast about it and then listen to pop culture leftovers <laughs> and then eventually like, you know, let like loved, loved their podcast enough that I was like part of their fan group. And then through their fan group had the support and encouragement to then do this. And then in doing this got to be very good friends with the PCL guys to the point where now I'm on their show quite a bit and it's like it's so fucking weird it's like (laughs) those those weird little things that happen that can then you know you at the time it seems so insignificant it's such a small thing it's wild but the the effect of it is is tremendous yeah to take it all full circle probably if i don't hear my neighbor across the street when i was five years old playing the drums for his hard rock band you know what i mean and then uh-huh. if I don't go to my dad's rehearsals uh, in his little rock band when I'm in elementary school, and then if I don't see a metal band at a bowling alley because my parents bowled league, like I said, I grew up in bowling alleys, I'm standing on the sidelines looking through the door watching a heavy metal band play. Like, I don't, I probably, you know, I don't start going to local shows. I don't see the Warriors play, you know, in 2002. And then I don't start listening to that stuff and stuff like it, like Hate Breed. And it's like, I idolize that band, the Warriors. They're from um, Southern, the Southern California area originally. And 10 years later, I'm getting to stay at their singer's house <laughs> when I'm on tour in Washington. That's so cool. And I'm kicking it with his kids. You know what I mean? And playing video games with them while we're on a tour stop. You know? I'm listening to old uh, compilation albums in 2004, and there's a band on there that has one song that like very much shaped my whole vocal style and music writing style. Couldn't find the band. I end up playing with them in 2017. They're called Sworn Vengeance. 
and their singer ends up doing a lot of our artwork. So the the logo that we have on Heat and the Faction, he reworked that logo. He did that. Oh damn! The, he nice did the work. layout. He did the layout for our album artwork too. And he's on Stone Cold Steve Hawking. He's the other voice, Ryan. <laughs> That's too cool. But he he fathered my he he's one of the people that fathered my style as a vocalist very much off of one song that I heard on a compilation, fourteen years before. <laughs> That's incredible. It's insane. Like getting to do songs with him or uh, on uh, email. There's a, a guy named Shane Tunney on there. He does the second half of the song. He played a, his band played a pizza place when I was 17 years old here in Fresno. And I went to go see the Warriors and his band from Oakland played. They were called Low Life. And I, I fell in love with them. Bought their album and listened to it nonstop. And then didn't know them. And then... Because our record label's based out of the Bay Area, he knew them. So I got to get back in touch with them and tell him how much his record meant to me. And I got to stay at his house a few times and I was a Lyft driver up there in the Bay Area. And then he's on my album. He gets to be on a song with me. That's amazing. Yeah, like I I feel like like I, I could be so ambitious and I sometimes could be never satisfied with certain things. But getting to be on this sh- on, on your show and getting to talk to you, I get to kind of enjoy accomplishments without feeling like a douchebag. <laughs> so I really appreciate you for that. <laughs> oh, dude, I appreciate it. Like, I love, I don't know, I love having conversations with you. You're so easy to talk to. And like, you know, hearing all these stories from, it's like, cause I love like metal and hardcore music and stuff, but I'm not, I, I've never done that thing. I don't, I don't know what sort of experiences, you know, that's like. And so to hear that stuff, it's just, it's, it's so cool to me. You know, like the, the, the experiences you've had, like playing live shows and, and, you know, being influenced by people and then going on to collaborate with those people in the future. I can't imagine like, you know, what a moment that must've felt like. It's, it's, I've now like just realized how dope it is. (laughs) Cause to me, every time I do something, I'm like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm very hard on myself, I think. And it's like, well, of course once you get to a certain level, you need to collaborate with the people who influenced you. You need to go show that love back. That's what you're supposed to do. But like some people never get to do that. You have, I I was talking to my boss about this. Actually, she's a big star Wars fan. You have star Wars fans making star Wars episode. You make making star Wars content now. Yep. You have fans acting on the show. And like, I feel like that this may be my version of that. Like I was a sworn vengeance uh, you know, a low life OBHC. I was a fan of their music. And now I get to make songs influenced by them with them on it. Cause that's the other thing is if they're the ones giving me the influence, I need to pay them that homage. Cause if, if they, if anybody likes my style, then they need to get, they deserve some of that because I don't have my style without listening to them or Madball, you know, or Hatebreed or any of those. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like Favro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember one morning I was I was just doing my regular morning routine. I was doing dishes. It was a Monday, so I was listening to the new pop culture leftovers. And and Brian like did this new segment where I might be mixing things up here. There was something going on where he was like, Oh, I just want to give a shout out to a podcast I listened to. It was really great. It's called Startcast. 
And I was like, no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that wouldn't be a thing if it weren't for this podcast. And now this podcast is giving props to my show. That's like, that's wild. And I remember the first few times that I recorded with them, I'd have to remind myself because I was so used to just listening where it's like, okay, you can talk here and interject. (laughs) Also, you're not just listening to a podcast. You're recording it with them right now. And I remember for like that being so weird for a while. That's funny. <laughs> I feel like the first time the first time I was on Heroes of Noise, uh, I felt that. I was like, can I just listen to these guys? But then like they just end up interviewing me and I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> me. <laughs> did but you I listen hear you to that? Talk. Um, did you listen to that interview they did uh with the uh the MCU stuntman? I haven't yet. We're bad sidekick. I'm a bad sidekick of noise. <laughs> well, I think it just dropped. So I still <laughs> it just I came had out. all week. I um, had all week. My Patreon sent me a notification too. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good, man. It um number one, what a get. But you know, it's like if if you're into the MCU and and you want to hear a fantastic interview, check out Heroes of Noise. I think they've released it on their regular feed now. I think and, it is too. Um Oh, I'm I'm totally spacing on the guy's last name. I know his first name is Precious. Um, but yeah, MCU stuntman and the the interview that the Heroes of Noise do with him is it's such a great lesson. Um, I absolutely I love those guys too, man. I love that podcast. Um, yeah, I, I messed up. I'm a bad sidekick of noise. I should have mentioned them <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I'm gonna get sidekick of noise to start to to be a thing. <laughs> sidekick of noise it's, it's been fantastic. it's been hitting me in the head forever for like years <laughs> like and what if i started like a, a podcast about their podcast called sidekicks of noise <laughs> it's an after show where you just discuss what you just heard them discuss no, I, I don't even discuss it i just agree <laughs> when dan said this yeah he's right and then when steve said this yeah he's right and then when steve <laughs> laughed at this i laughed at it too Dude, that guy's got an infectious laugh. Man, that that guy has been tons of fun since I met him back in 2005. He's a super multi-talented guy, too. It's ridiculous. His, his album, The Gentleman, is so good. It's I'm so good. So. I'm glad you think so, because that took, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but it took years of me bugging him. Well, I'm glad that, that he got it out there. And and I hope he does more because I love his style. Yo, I we we talk from time to time about doing more, and I'm just I'm stoked that I get to be in the conversation again. This is I feel like Favreau, like you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. He he was a big. I was like I I think I told you it's it's kind of uh, like been said on other casts, but like I was his bass player in his band. Yes. Yep. I, okay. I remember you saying that. Yeah, so like I looked up to him from Jump, and I learned so much from him. And then when he started sharing his music with me, and when I when I heard the music he had put out with other artists, I was like, "This guy's insane." And so I was always influenced by him. And the fact that I got to be a part of him getting that record out was huge to me because I didn't have no motives other than I needed other people to hear it. I'd been hearing these songs for years. And I felt so strongly about it that I took on whatever roles I needed to take on to make sure it became a reality. And I'm so glad that 
it's gotten to people and that it's connecting with people the way I knew it would because he's amazing. And part of my motive was really just I want to listen to this more conveniently than shuffling through my Google Drive. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the player in there is not the best. No. <laughs> yeah, his his song Matters is my favorite on on that. It is. I mean, every every song on there is good. I think Matters is my favorite. I think it's that song. Or I Miss Your Smile. That one, too. I Miss Your Smile on that album. I think I have three or four instrumentals I've produced with samples from that particular song. <laughs> That's awesome. Because there's a few songs where I have the uh the stems for them like the naked tracks so i have his keyboard parts separated i have his vocal parts separated and he's given me his blessing to just make whatever i want with them and i i think i miss your smile is the song that i if i want to sample one of his songs i'll go there before anything else and there's so many different parts you could use where you wouldn't even be able to tell it's from the same song oh that's cool yeah and then I have one of his unreleased tracks that he sent me. And I, <laughs> I'm already sampling it. It hasn't even been released. <laughs> it's like, well, it's right here. Like he sent it to me for a mix or something like that. And we were talking about it. And I was like, dude, can I sample? He's like, yeah, of course. And like within a day, I sent him a beat I made with like samples from the song. Oh, nice. <laughs> He's great. Like, I think that if, so I have, when I produce songs, I have like my own sound packs and stuff and my favorites. I've actually made my own folders with just his samples in them. <laughs> and so whenever I need a vocal sample, I, he's my go-to. Oh, cool. So I have songs with, you know how you'll hear like dance songs and everything with like a little vocal, like, eh, meh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It'll just be like a little sound, like Timbaland always does, like the little, hey, hey, you know? Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of those that I made out of Steve's vocal tracks. <laughs> nice. That I, that I put in songs that haven't been released. Hopefully I could get, I'm doing some new music with my cousin, uh, J-Dub, a.k.a. Big Dub. And we're in talks for doing like a collaboration album. Think, uh... Nate Dogg and Warren G or oh, like cool. uh, Daz and Corrupt or DJ Quick and uh, Sugar Free, how there were these duos back then, right? Uh-huh. So like we'd be a producer artist duo where we, we put the songs together as a team and we have a few that we've worked on and one of them, he almost released and I told him to wait and I'll send it to you. But there is a vocal chop from... S.E. Hudson's, one of his songs, uh, from Deeper. Oh, nice. I took the, the vocal for Deeper. He, when he says, uh, deeper than my mind, I just took the word deep, chopped it out, and then pitched it down and put all kinds of effects on it. So just like, deep. <laughs> In the song. I had to find that for you and send it to you. Oh, please. He's my go-to. So... <laughs> If if I ever have to pay anybody royalties, it's going to be S.E. Hudson. He deserves every penny. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Dude, he deserves so royalties because he's the king. 
<laughs> What's Plus your... him and oh, him sorry, and Dan as a te- him and Dan as a team is ridiculous too. Oh, th- I mean their podcast is just pure gold. They're I mean, like it the... really is. They've got the perfect chemistry together. Uh, they both got great voices for it. Steve's got that super infectious laugh. Um, you know, Steve's always got very interesting takes on stuff too. Like I never know how he's going to feel about a movie until after I hear his review. So I always look yeah. forward to hearing what his take's going to be. They both, I, I don't know, man. They're peanut butter and jelly, man. You can't have one without the other to <laughs> without me. Without a doubt. <laughs> like they just complement each other so well. They got this, this one, two, you know, Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> type of deal um Love what's what's guys. your process usually like for when you start making a beat does it like just start with something in your head and and then you just kind of go and get the bones of it down or how does it usually go for you i don't get to make them as much as i want to anymore um sometimes they're commissioned in so somebody reaches out to me hey i need this made like this in this style and then i just kind of construct it all uh, there are other times where literally the entire thing will hit me in the head while I'm brushing my teeth, showering, uh, making breakfast, the whole thing with vocal patterns sometimes too. Oh, will wow. Hit me, will hit me right in the head and then I zone out and I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, usually I'll be like this. I'll be quiet and then I'll just be like, oh, shit or oh, crap. And then Aaron will be like, what? And I'm like, a whole song hit me in the head. And she's like, all right, go, you know. Go work on it. <laughs> Do you ever like pull out like your your like uh, voice recorder app on your phone and like scat into it? I will not scat, but yes, <laughs> that's not sanitary. But yes, for 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 instrumentals and for Farouk songs, there's there's voice memo, memos of me going. Dun, 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 I love Ooh, that's it. That's pretty cool riff. Keep that one. that's excellent yeah so there is there is a lot of those but now i have you know i I got my little setup here pretty decent so i can just pull out my laptop and if i have my keyboard controller i'll usually put down the parts that are the most loud in my head usually a bass line and some kind of melody and get the tempo down and get it all sketched out and then there's a there's a stopping point i get to where if i'm busy I'll come back to it and I'll just get all the stuff that needs to be out of my head into the computer. And then there's a point in my mind where I say, okay, from here forward, it'll write itself. So that means that everything crucial that was stuck in my head is already on in the computer and noted down. So by the time I come back to it, I'll know exactly what else I need to add because in my brain, when I hear one thing, I hear a bunch of other stuff already that can go with it. Yeah, so, so you just I need mean, to record the lead in. Yes, and, I need and, I need to get the tempo down. I need to get a general drum part, and I need to get a bass line. Nice. Yeah, so I, no, that, I totally get that approach. That it's like you but, just got to set up the first blocks, and when they fall, you know, it's it's going to take the rest of it with it, whether it's there or not. It's so frustratingly cool, but yeah, I I wrote a, a new Farouk song actually uh, yesterday. And when I mean wrote, I mean I literally wrote down descriptions of riffs and tempos onto a post-it. Sweet. And so, like, I need to I, – I put down the drums uh, – some of the drums for it already into my computer. Like, I did a little digital drum thing. Uh-huh. But 
yeah, things just will straight up like that entire Farouk song that I wrote down on a post-it just hit me in the head. It just came up, heard the whole thing. And there's songs on this new Farouk album that are just like that. Like I had dreams of them and stuff. Oh, sweet. So then I have to pick them apart piece by piece in my head and then lay them down piece by piece. And sometimes it's just one part and then it gets all kind of blurry and then there's another part. So I got to figure out how to connect them. It's a mess, man. It is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes I'll just be working on a mix for S.E. Hudson and hear one of his synth parts and be like, yo, I want to sample this. And I will cut the part out, save it into another folder. And then when I'm done with whatever I'm done with, I'll open that up and just build around a sample. Oh, that's cool. And any day of the week, I could pull out any sample from an S.E. Hudson song and make an instrumental. Pick pick any part, pick any song, because he's he he's so inspiring. Everything he does. So there's a such a crazy process, but lately it's been entire songs hitting me right in the face, and then me being like, "God damn it!" (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like like when your stomach's rumbling. And you're like, oh, man, I need to go sit down. (laughs) I know what's coming next. (laughs) Yep. And if I hold it, I'm going to be a mess all day. Because that's what ends up happening. If I don't, like, note it down, if I don't get something, if I don't get it out of my head, and if I don't (laughs) scat into my phone, (laughs) (laughs) if I don't do that, I just sit there fixating on it and building more and more on it, and I'm just, like, spaced out and can't function as a person. It's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it just takes precedence in your mind. Yeah. It, it, you ever had a song stuck in your head? Oh, yeah. You ever had a song that didn't exist stuck in your head? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Dude, it sucks. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> Why? Well, again, I sometimes just can't function. <laughs> Well, dude, I can't wait to listen to this new music that you've been working on. Um, when, when, it, when it gets out there, I can't fucking wait. I'll you be first be in line to buy the new line, Farouk. Man. Thank you. I'm going to actually pull out my Google Drive. The best uh, music player on earth, the Google Drive. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to send you this song by uh, the rock man and Big Dub called Windows Down, Bass Up. Oh, nice. Yes, please. I can't wait. And that was one where... It was kind of stuck. I had this energy stuck in my head. It was like a a certain tempo. And I knew like what the kick and the snare were going to do. And I knew kind of the vibe I wanted it. And I even had a reference track that I kind of wanted to capture this uh, song by DJ Quick and Sugar Free called Do I Love Her. And so I kind of made my version of the song where it, 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 it had this really danceable beat but very laid back in the instrumentation so it's kind of like you wouldn't be shaking and 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 thrusting to it you kind of be grooving to it okay i gotcha no shaking and thrusting for this one (laughs) no front flips into the crowd to this one (laughs) uh dude i've had the best time talking with you tonight dude it's always a pleasure 
I love you hitting me up. I love that we get just you just schedule me a couple months out, and then you hit me up like, "Hey man, can't wait to record with you." And I'll be like, "Oh cool, what are we gonna talk about?" And be like, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> I always love it when I, when I get that question. Is there anything particular going to talk about? I'm like, no clue, <laughs> nothing on the agenda. <laughs> We're just gonna see where the conversation goes. And now I I loved hearing all the stories and stuff. And uh, yeah, no this this was. As far as I'm concerned, another great one. <laughs> yeah, so I but I'm biased because I love having conversations with you. <laughs> hey, man, it's always great. I, out of respect, I always ask that way. Like, if I need to watch something, like shout out to the, the homie Semi Dry Chicken and PC Dub, PC Dub, PC Dub. <laughs> nice. Like, uh, out of respect, I always ask so I could be prepared because I wanted to get on a few more episodes with him. But there's some preparation. I want to do it right, you know. Oh yeah. And, you know, those wrestling pod, you'd think I'm crazy when I talk about music. (laughs) (laughs) Get me talking about wrestling. No, that's the podcast for you to go on then. (laughs) Yeah. I bet you and Wayne could talk about wrestling for a long time. Yeah, I got to be on one already. really enjoyed it. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, it was a WrestleMania recap, and I said some some things that I'm sure pissed people off, but I don't care. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do? Hit me in the head with a chair? <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, anything else you want to plug, or, or where can people find you? Uh, the Rockman on Instagram, uh, VXDEDXV on all socials, at Farouk Mosh, F-A-R-O-O-Q-M-O-S-H, on just about everything. Um. Yeah, if you see us, if you're on Twitter, tweet at VXDEDXV or tweet at Farouk Mosh something, anything, because I'm not on Twitter enough. So if you want to ask <laughs> me something, if you want to make a comment on something I said, grandmas of uh, grandmas of StartCast, because this is a family show, <laughs> get on the Twitter machine and talk some trash to me, please. So I need to be on Twitter more. <laughs> said no one ever <laughs> uh, i'm on tiktok too much oh yeah i refuse to put that app on my phone i know it'll be a black hole that will Dude. just suck my attention and i'll get even less writing done worth it man so worth it you learn because <laughs> the algorithm ends up hitting you right wherever your real interests are and then you get to see other concrete content creators who are just giving you the cheat codes to life on oh, that oh shit i've never heard so, it described that way that's more intriguing if you, what you have to do is make sure you hit the not interested on anything you don't like. And so there's a not interested button and then there's a like button, right? The more things you like, they'll figure out what your niche is. So my TikTok feed that I want, that is my for you page that's curated for me is pro wrestling, um, sound engineering, producing, and uh, comedy, I think. Nice. So everything on there is made just for me. There's so many music producers on there that are coming up that have like, hey, here's how you do this and here's how you do that. They're just giving out free game. Oh, that's cool. So there's probably, you know, awesome podcaster, writer, mountain climber, TikTok. (laughs) Probably. That's out there for you. Probably. You know what I mean? And it's for every interest, I feel like there's a side of TikTok and there's like-minded people and I've gotten to meet those people and interact with them and it's dope, but it can also just completely tie up your days and nights. I think Aaron and I spend almost an hour a night on TikTok together <laughs> watching. 
we're gonna go to bed at a decent time we're in bed at 9 30 and then at 11 we're like our eyes burn <laughs> That's so awesome. catch me on tiktok at rockman got him <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> Uh, dude, well, thanks again for coming on. Already looking forward to the next one. Thank uh, you, dude. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, you can, uh, I always forget to all that talk about Twitter. You can find me on, on Twitter at the tubby ninja. There we go. I remembered to say it. <laughs> it's, it's a, is the, is D E D AKA the rock man and Stark AKA the sidekicks of noise. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, Thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast.